Hello, Sunlit Ones. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. here for the final book club of year of sanderson secret project number four the sunlit man oh man so excited this is gonna be a good long book club yes and that's not just because we have a potential sanderson drought that is because secret project number four might be the most dense the most cosmere connected and i have not felt like jam-packed yeah we, we haven't been missing out on cosmere connections but this one really brings to the fore the cosmere in a more direct way it almost just felt like a normal cosmere book not a separate secret project blah blah yeah. blah this just felt like it was picking up where something like the lost metal left us at the technical end of the you know the last cosmere book and that's because it is basically this secret project is different from all of the others by the time brandon got to writing secret project four he already had this idea for the year of sanderson kind of percolating in his brain and so this one is unique in that he specifically set out to write this story it didn't just sort of happen in his free time during the pandemic he had the story in mind he sat down to write this book and he said quote this is the secret project that i really didn't just kind of do floating in my free time that i sat down and decidedly said i am going to get this done end quote it's also for us dedicated yeah. to us yeah so cute i don't know about you but i definitely teared up reading some of the dedications to the fans throughout the forward and the afterward in the book it was just very nice so sweet it's dedicated quote for all of you the fans of the cosmere who make my dreams come to life end quote and it feels like such a you know as much as like brandon gives to us it's nice to feel acknowledged for like what we give to him too and like for the little contribution that we get to make to the world of the Cosmere, to like co-creating it in this global group of people who love it. This story of the Sunlit Man was inspired by Brandon's first little seed of an idea for the Cosmere, which was of a character traveling to different planets and studying the magic there. Originally, he was thinking of that character as Hoyd, but once things had actually been, you know, put down to paper and Hoyd's character had been more canonized, he realized that that particular trope or story wouldn't work for Hoyd. He wants Hoyd's role to be closer to like it is in Tress and Yumi, where Hoyd is telling the story after the fact, after he sort of experiences them. And Brandon says, quote, it's a different sort of theme from what I'd imagined, the more brutal, gritty, figure out the magic system, race against time sort of story. And it became clear to me that the best way to do that story would be with Hoyd's apprentices. There are three of them, of which Sigzel is the one you know best, end quote. 
a huge tidbit of information yeah, there. reveal. Yeah, so Sigzel, the one we know best and the hero of the story, I feel it works so well, but I want to give you a shout out because you actually said in Yumi that you had wished yeah. the story was being told from Sigzel's perspective. Yeah. Brandon heard those cries across space and time and then wrote The Sunlit Man. I think that this was a great call and understanding Brandon's logic about Hoyt as the storyteller, but not necessarily someone experiencing the story in real time like Mm. Sigzil does works really well because I felt so emotionally connected and invested to Sigzil's journey and story where maybe Hoyt if Brandon tried to do the same thing with Hoyd, I would never commit in the same way because I kind of know Hoyd is invincible and like yeah. going to be this meta character that continues. We have a different relationship with Hoyd than we do with other characters. And so, yeah, this makes much more sense being from, uh, I mean, Hoyd is in the books, but I kind of don't think of him as an in-book character. Right. <laughs> and I think it works better with this kind of in-book character. Brandon also said specifically that Sigzel, quote, has a role to play in the future of the Cosmere, end quote. So that was new information for me. I don't know if we've heard that before. No, but with this story allegedly taking place again in the far future of the Cosmere and knowing that Sigzel slash Nomad has been doing the skipping throughout the Cosmere for a while now, and then the connections all the way back to Stormlight Archive 5 and and potentially things that happened because of that moment. It just like branches us in time, gives us kind of a parentheses where we've seen something happen in the Sunlit Man. We know that something's happening in Stormlight. What's in between makes for a lot of interesting possibilities. Yeah, definitely. And then the other element that went into creating this story is another idea that Brandon has had for quite a while for this kind of really fast-paced move-or-else world. It originally started as the idea of, like, a giant ball rolling around a planet that, like, people would have to try to escape, basically. But obviously that was a silly idea, and what he did is better (laughs) having it come from the sun um and then he added the threnodites in because that's another thing that he's wanted to write more about for a long time and he just never has time to write a follow-up to shadows for silence so this was a way for him to work in some of that threnodite world building uh into this story yeah that concept of a ball rolling around the planet though ridiculous does strike some of the most like iconic moments from film or storytelling. Think of like Indiana Jones running away from yeah, the with big the boulder. boulder. Yep. <laughs> and there's a shot sometimes lampooned from Prometheus where a gigantic ship, think of like, you know, a really big Star Wars-esque ship is rolling on its side on a planet and the humans are like running directly Mm. in its path and everyone jokes like why didn't you just run to the left or right uh before getting crushed by the big thing and so i think a ball rolling around the planet would be easy for humans to dodge because they would just move slightly out of the way how big the ball is i guess so but the movement of that concept the pressure or the stress that that creates in our characters and then in the reader 
into the sunlight. Starting from the given circumstance of like, you must keep moving. Right. Uh, I kept thinking about it as like a floor is lava situation. (laughs) (laughs) Like literally the floor turns into lava in this circumstance. Uh, That was kind of the only connection I was able to make to the pandemic in this story. I feel like we all had a collective moment of like Flora's lava being back in vogue during that time, which like maybe snuck its way in here. I thought that the overall structure of the story and the concept of the sun destroying the planet every day or destroying any people who are caught out in it is perfect. It's perhaps my favorite thing from the story as a whole it's just that convention yeah and i feel like we're going to talk about it a lot more in just a moment but tell me a bit about the chronology or where are we placing this story in time in cosmere time from brandon quote this does take place moderately far into the cosmere's future this is not a spoiler for stormlight 5 in that i intend it to be read before stormlight 5 but you will find out in stormlight 5 what caused this whole thing to happen If it's a spoiler, it's not for much in the future of Stormlight. The division point will happen pretty soon here, end quote. I feel like that's a fair statement to make, but I disagree with Brandon. This is so spoilerific in a lot of very subtle ways that only the super duper nerds would make connections to or make Mm, really care about. But the, the simple idea of what I'm left with after reading The Sunlit Man, is that some bad things happen in the Stormlight Archive 5. And to some people, that's yeah. enough of a spoiler. They sure. they don't want that kind of like break Any or... like tone right. at all. It's kind of like when someone tells you like, oh, the movie has a great twist. Be like, I didn't spoil anything, but the fact that you told me there's a oh, twist... you know there's a twist. Right. Kind of already ruins it. So I kind of know something bad is going to happen in Stormlight 5, and I don't know if that's going to impact the way I read it. Mm, yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out in Stormlight 5 because I have full faith that even with what we now know, we will be surprised at how those things come into play in the actual story. Right. The details, I have no idea of other than just speculation. I think, you know, you might have some things in your head right now where you're like, oh, well, this must obviously mean this Mm -hmm. and i feel like those things are going to be subverted yeah i'll definitely make the leaps into crazy theories as we all know but i think it does come down to how spoilerific do you consider any information from the future yeah i mean don't get me wrong we are going to speculate wildly it's gonna (laughs) get this book club yeah it's gonna get intense we're gonna go down every possible rabbit hole into the caves out into the space we're going to skip all the way around and bring in as much as possible i think we could end up doing you know a whole separate podcast just about the sunlit man like it's just a jam-packed book it's got a lot of great character moments and interesting characters as well that i feel like we haven't necessarily seen in the cosmere Mm. before this is a good jumping off point is that your your first impression of the story Generally? Yeah, let's get some first impressions feedback. I loved it. I thought that this was a wonderful addition to the Cosmere. Like I said, kind of extending out from what I'd considered the secret projects 
back into mm. almost just a normal Cosmere book. Yeah. And certainly one that I think would be required reading for any, you know, true Cosmere list where something like Tress and maybe even Yumi could be considered, at least for now, secondary books. I disagree. I think I think they all go on the list. I, there's so much good information, especially in Yumi. Yes. About just like the fundamental nature of the Cosmere that if you're really trying to understand the Cosmere, you need to read them. And for Tress, I mean, if Aethers are going to start playing a role, which they show up in Sunlit Man, they're mentioned. And like, they're in the Lost Metal, then, of course. Yeah, then like, yeah, you have to read Tress. I agree. And I clearly am not the type of person who's skipping out on any of yeah, these books. Yeah, how dare you? But I think it will be fun maybe at the end of this episode or during our book club at some point, we create a favorite secret project, one through four. And then, oh, I can do that right now. Okay, hit me with it. Let's go. My favorite is still Tress. Okay, number one, Tress yep. of the Emerald Sea. Number one is number one. Number two. I think Yumi would be my number two. Strong. Love it. Sunlit Man, number three. And, frugal and then, wizard. yeah, Frugal Wizard, four. Beautiful. Love it. I am going to mix those things up quite a bit. I'm going to jumble them. It really is narrow among the top three. Yeah. It's not huge differences in any way. I think... Right now, and this is in this moment, Subject could change, change. Of course, I think I'm going to put Yumi one, oh, Sunlit Man number two, Trust number three. I did not expect that. I thought you were going to say Sunlit Man number one. I could have, and I feel very strongly about this book as being great. <laughs> but I think the separating factor again right now is that I kind of was caught up in the love story of Yumi. Mm -hmm. And I just liked that side. It was still a separate enough story like Tress mm -hmm. that it can kind of be read alone. I really love that part about Tress is that I can recommend that to anyone. Totally. Yumi is not that way, but yeah. it's a little bit more that way. So it kind of yeah. hits right in that sweet spot. But it's very Cosmere important. As you were mentioning, the, the visuals I find so engaging mentally. I feel like I can picture the the bamboo art painter in Kilohito, Yumi in yeah. her world. It just felt so interesting and the the bright high on lines as kind of like statement art pieces. I don't know. It just like really worked for me. But again, we're splitting hairs. I think that they are all boom, 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 one, two, three, and then clear fourth, frugal wizard. And I still really enjoyed it. Frugal Wizard reading, and even more so after our book club. Yeah, the book club for me was the best part. But tell me about your first impressions for The Sunlit Man. My first impression was just that this book is a Cosmere Scholar's dream from the perspective of just like mining information about the Cosmere. This book was fantastic. There are so many juicy little details that are helping us put together these pieces of the Cosmere. I really liked the sort of puzzle that you were describing in between Stormlight and then when the Sunlit Man takes place and like mm -hmm. how do we put all of those pieces together. I loved getting all of those details and trying to make a picture of what maybe happened. I found that really fun. I also enjoyed how the 
pace of the book was reflected in the pressure of living on canticle with its you know cosmology and like the the way that the sun is and the core of the planet etc forcing people to keep moving which was also reflected in the continual need to flee this like never-ending race of nomads that's more cosmic it's like happening on canticle and then it's also happening across the cosmere i thought that was a cool uh mirror type thing that happened completely agree that might be why the sunlit man could be bounced to number one of my secret project list is that structure and the way that there's this frenetic energy because of the planetary system and the sun destroying everything creating nomads of the people i thought of them like Mm. kind of a mad max in the dark type of situation constantly on the move with their improvised ships and whatnot they didn't mention a lot of leather but i'm imagining that they had some mad max vibes but then our character sigzel an outsider not frenetic for that reason but frenetic because of his own history his own desire to escape and his well like he's got a motivation that is driving him to feel the same and to be the same and act the same as these people on Canticle, that it makes so much sense than when he becomes part of that yeah. world. And it is this like m- perfect merging of the macro, the micro, individual characters with the, with the larger themes that Brandon is trying to shine a spotlight onto. It worked for me really well. And the pace, the pacing of the story fits Brandon's writing style mm. almost perfectly because he's he's an action writer. Like first sure. and foremost, we talk about yeah. a lot of stuff, but like his bread and butter has always been fantastic action scenes and describing action. And then this world is a permanent call to action, permanent movement, permanent energy. Yeah, I will say that was actually one of my rough cuts, although I like the symmetry of the pace throughout the structure of the book and through the content of the book, I found that it, at least for me, made for a less enjoyable reading experience <laughs> uh, because it is really stressful. I didn't, I, I felt very pressured reading it. Like I didn't enjoy the experience of reading this book. Oh no, bummer. Yeah, it was moving so fast. I felt like my mind was just racing in both the story and like racing to try to extract all of this Cosmere information out of the book. So while there were things that I liked about both of those aspects, I enjoyed the experience of reading the book less than Tress or Yumi, which is why I would put it lower on my list. Like, it's doing a lot. And I think that it does what Brandon set out to do. Like, he achieved Mm -hmm. his goal of writing a book with this frantic pace. You succeeded, Brandon. You did it. I just didn't really enjoy it. Right. It's just not the vibe that you were hoping for, or it didn't, like, sync up with how you were feeling. Yeah. I mean, it made me feel very stressed and like, I don't want to feel stressed when I'm reading for fun. (laughs) That's fair enough. But I also think that entertainment media is by design meant to make us feel 
And it's impressive that Brandon from, you know, tippity typing on his keyboard can make us feel emotions, even if that emotion is like stress. And that's what I'm saying. Like from an artistic perspective, Mm -hmm. like he succeeded. He did what he set out to do. I felt almost like Brandon had joined in to our Create a Cosmere World episode that we did a while back. We were inspired yeah, by N.K. Jeminson. I was like, oh, yeah, like desert desert world. He just went in an obviously different and probably better uh, vein from that. I like that you said probably because our world was really great was that okay. we created. If we gave that idea to Brandon, he would be able to do something with it. But he kind of started with this pitch of what if the sun is destroying the planet every single day? How does that work? And he's exploring like these concepts of, you know, planetary size versus how close it is to the sun, what's going on geologically in the planet, and then introducing Cosmere magic into that situation as well, then building a society on top of that, then introducing the character that we know as Zig Zolar mm-hmm. Nomad into that situation and then almost like a simulation, a little game has been set and then he hits play and this story unfolds with all of the parameters that he set down. And I think that's what we learned from that Create a Cosmere episode and N.K. Jeminson's lesson. You kind of have to set up boundaries and limitations, yeah, whether they're physical or psychological or uh, classes, classism, you need those limits that you can then play within. And Brandon does that so often with magic systems. It's great to see him do it with the actual like literary structure as well. Why don't you tell me some of your favorite things? We'll go back and forth. Your favorite, my favorite. Yeah. Hit me with it. One thing that I really loved about this book was learning more about the Threnodites in particular, learning more about their culture, what has happened to them, hearing more about the evil in their homeland, mm-hmm. and then, of course, all the all the rest of the Cosmere goodies. It certainly was like a Cosmere Christmas tree, you know, just... Yeah, just so many good things. All the great stuff all around. For me, I really connected with Nomad, Zigzal, Zellian. The story that he goes on is, to me, very emotional and like emotionally satisfying. I would say I'm a sucker for Bridge Four and definitely vibe on the journey that Kaladin Stormblessed has been on in Stormlight Archive 5. Of course, that journey is mimicked with all of the Windrunners, all of Bridge Four. They are dealing with their own thing in a similar way that Kaladin is dealing with his mental, physical situations. And we have been able to experience characters like Tef in Stormlight Archive, where it's a different shade of the blue that Kaladin is. And Zigzal, another shade, has now been added to the canvas. I think that there's so much depth there. Yes, it is the color blue. And so there is <sighs> mainly some sadness. And there's a lot of that, you know, desire to stop. And the pressure to keep moving, the pressure to run, the Mm. pressure to escape. But at the core, Zigzal wants to stop. He he kind of like is exhausted in the same way that Kaladin is often exhausted with his existence, which is a real bummer to actually sit and contemplate. But then when they move forward, when they keep getting up, when they 
overcome, it just feels so satisfying to me. So I loved Nomad becoming Zellion. And most importantly, I loved the relationship with Nomad and Ox. I thought that it was great to see another Spren bond mm-hmm. in depth. It's such an intimate bond that it like made me sad in retrospect <sighs> for Syl and Kaladin and Tef and Fenderana with Ox and Nomad. The bond is intimate and emotional, even though... It's very different. Yes. From other bonds that we've seen. The Spren is dead. The Spren has lost much of what makes them them. And yet it's still hit like a truck when we lost Ox and there's that sacrifice. And even in the moments when it was merely suggested that Ox would give up their existence to help move the plot forward, to help Nomad. That was enough for me. I, I was like breaking <gasps> left and right. And then when it finally does happen, of course, crying, there's just so many emotions. And then when our boy becomes Zellian in full and is got just like magic and swirls and staffs and spears and bridge four and it's all great. I loved it. It was so fantastic. What about you? Another favorite moment? One of the other things, it's a very small thing. <laughs> But I enjoyed all of the uh, texture that was given to the Threnodite culture and this like Puritan sort of vibe that they had going on. I feel like there was also a call out to Good Omens with one of the characters being named Adonalsium Will Remember Our Plight Eventually. Yeah. Which like I thought sounded like, you know, adultery pulsifer. <laughs> yes. Thou shall not commit adultery pulsifer. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Good Omens has a new show that is brought more attention to that. But I feel like Brandon has talked about being inspired by Terry Pratchett. Yeah, I mean, and... it's classic in terms of fantasy literature. Absolutely. You've got any other particularly favorite things you want to call out? Not at the moment. I think that we're going to explore a lot more of what I enjoyed about this yeah, book yeah. as we go in depth Let's do the rough cuts. You mentioned one, that like frenetic pace, not uh, vibing perfectly with how you want to be reading. Yeah. Did you have any rough cuts? My roughest cut could probably be echoed directly from our Yumi first impressions episode. In that once introduced to these characters, once introduced to this world... I just want more. I want so much more with all of these characters. The the skipping away at the end was so perfect that it's basically I am Iron Man at the end of Iron Man. <laughs> like he has to skip away, right? That's the yeah. whole thing. Like he's yeah. going to skip away. And then from my perspective, I was just like, please don't skip away. Stay with these people. You've just like found your new bridge four, except they're fire people on this planet. And like you have bonded and like become part of their society. And I really like is there and you guys seem friendly, like be happy. (laughs) I really liked that. The threadedites are so supportive of him and they're really understanding. I was a little bit afraid that it was going to be a situation where he would have to leave and they would be like, no, stay with us. Like, we don't want you to go, Zellian. You're part of our family now. Take care of us. We need you. Mm, yeah. And that would be like, oh, just horrible. 
I, it felt really good to me that there was like an understanding between them. As we've been talking about, he could identify with their way of life because even outside of Canticle, he is living in this constant uh, race situation just like they are. And so I kind of liked seeing this mutual respect and rapport that they had built with each other and that they love each other enough to let each other go, sort of. And then now he's able to continue forward knowing that he has the support of another community that can kind of bolster him and keep him warm for the next leg of his journey. Beautifully said. Do you have any other rough cuts, things you didn't like? The pace was really just the thing for me. Okay, I got a rough cut. And it's okay. it's a it's Ooh. a sharp one. Okay. Yeah, this might okay. not even be like a stone. This is a straight dagger. Okay. Scadrines, you suck. <gasps> oh dang. I I could not believe what I was witnessing from these Scadrians. Now there was a bunch of interesting stuff. Malwish seemingly is the number one language spoken in Era 3. There's a whole bunch of Cosmere stuff that we will dissect over this book club. But hot take. That group of Scadrians, I don't know if they're ghost bloods, I don't know if they're working for like some part of an organization, blah, 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 but that group of Scadrians was awful. They <laughs> empowered a dictator, they seemingly yeah. did it without care, Yeah, and even like much thought. The apathy is the worst. Apathy, right, exactly. Yeah. And it just struck me as you are not deserving of this power to go out to planets to like play God. You have technology that's so I much mean, more advanced. We've already theoretically seen that on first of the sun. Right. The same attitude of just like, mm, we don't really care about you. We're just going to land on your planet, drop all this stuff. If it messes everything up, sucks for you. Bye. That kind of dispassionate, disheartened. It's the opposite of Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're the colonizers. Right. In exactly. all the bad ways. In every bad way. I don't know if way. there's a good way to be a colonizer, but definitely in all the bad ways. <laughs> Which may just be the ways. Yeah. Yeah. Strong agree. I, it was so upset. Like, it was truly upsetting because I love the story of Mistborn, Wax of and Wayne, Harmony, all of that Era 2 stuff, though we had our qualms with the Lost Metal, the characters I am I like, I'm getting a little bit nervous for As the you future of the Cosmere because not only do we have this group of Scadrians, we've got Elantrians mm -hmm. who are kind of doing the same thing we've seen a little bit of, like coming to other planets and just kind of being dicks. Yeah. And it's just like... Is everyone a dick in the future? It definitely seems, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. None of these people watch Spider-Man. Go back and just watch Toby's sad eyes as Uncle Ben dies because you have forgotten the most important lesson a man can learn, which is if you have power, you need to be responsible when you are using that power. And, and they I are guess not. The question is like, who are their leaders or where are their leaders? Right? Because if people that we know were in charge of these people like Serena and Raiden or Wax or Marasi. Yeah, Marasi like, wouldn't they let this are happen. good people, yeah, who would be guiding their kinsmen to be better people. So like what what is going on? Certainly makes me worried about the greater cosmere. We feel like something bad is gonna happen in Stormlight Archive, but I'm just left almost more saddened by what could be, quote unquote, the fall of Scadrial. You know, how do we get 
to a Scadrial that's acting so dispassionately with their great technology across the Cosmere, I don't, I almost recognize, like, Kaladin has depression. Stormlight Archive ends in sadness. I get it. I get it. It's going to happen. But the Scadrians, I had so much hope for, and they seem so well set up with my boy Harmony. They seem like they're in a bad spot at the end of Lost Metal. And therefore, the fall seems greater. I'm more saddened by this eventual end of the Scadrians. I guess I just, one of the things that I like about most of the stories in the Cosmere is that they're about people trying to be better people or like trying to be good people, trying to do the right thing, even in difficult circumstances. And I don't want that to go away. Like, I don't want the Cosmere to become a place where people are not trying to be better and they're just being meanies. <laughs> right. And that's kind of the vibe that we get yeah, from the Yeah, that's kind of the vibe. And obviously we're only seeing through a tiny little pinprick yes. to what might lay ahead. And so it's not the whole story. And it's very, very, very possible that there are plenty of good people behind the scenes, you know, working against the bad people that we've seen so far. But it does make me very nervous. Now, for that group of Scadrian scientists, I do not think the story ends well. Because, of course, in the epilogue, we have the leader of the Knight Brigade goes after those Scadrians, seemingly not with great intents. Like, I don't think that they are going to survive that encounter. Uh, and there might be some torture along. It was all alluded to as like, it's going bad for y'all. So they're not going to have a happy ending. But I wish that there was just more happiness coming out of Scadrial. I vaguely thought that there was going to be a yin and yang situation darkness coming out of rashar into a space age cosmere light coming out of scadriel to counteract type of things it doesn't seem like that at all that was seemingly such a wrong concept of yeah. what is happening which is fine i don't need to be right in all my guesses but definitely brought low by the scadrians that's my roughest of cut and it had nothing to do with our actual, <laughs> with the main actual book yeah <laughs> Okay, let's dive into this book a little bit more and talk about some of the characters that we meet. This is going to be a much shorter segment than it often is in our introductory episode for a book club because pretty much all of these people are going to get probably their own episode. We need a lot of time to dissect, but I want to at least be able to mention and give us a foundation to yeah. work off from during the entire Just book as club. a little reminder of like who we meet, roughly what their story is. Obviously, we can start with our main character, Sigzel slash Nomad slash Zellion and his friend Auxiliary. Obviously, he is the main character and there is a lot about him. So we're just going to leave that for probably multiple episodes in the future. <laughs> Definitely want to give a shout out over to our Discord friends, Malachi, Speck, and Brian, who pointed me right. I did a discombobulated type of read through on this secret project. I was going several hours while working in the backyard with the headphones in, ah. audiobook style. Yeah, jumping you always over. miss things in the audiobook. That's you why do. I can't audiobook these. I have to... I have to hard read. Exactly. And so I was bouncing back and forth, and I definitely missed what our friends over on Discord pointed out, which is that Auxiliary is not an honor sprint. Right. Auxiliary, auxiliary is, is a, a high, high sprint. 
of the Order of Skybreakers. And that's the second order that is talked about. That relationship entails some other relationships, maybe going wrong, maybe losing the honor spren that Zigzal is in Stormlight 4 bonded to, or maybe there's some type of other situation that we are just unaware of. Yeah, it's all question marks at this point. We'll explore it as much as possible, but give me your theories. Tell me what's going on. What do you think happened to Zigzal's honor spren? Is there a blade that he's like keeping in his back pocket that's that spren? I don't know. You tell me. And then tell me what you thought about the relationship between Ox and Nomad. Next up on our character list is Rebecca, the sort of main uh, Threnodite that we meet and follow along with. She is in her young 20s, so she's quite young. And she is kind of on this journey to like discover or create her identity. And she starts out by imitating the people around her and following in the footsteps of her sister and then trying to imitate nomad to be a quote-unquote killer and then we see this story conclude by her trusting herself speaking for herself and finding her own confidence and natural leadership from within she stops looking outside of herself to everyone else to try to contextualize her identity and instead uh, she just kind of stands in her power and is like, here I am. I am me and I'm different from the people around me. And actually, that's exactly what my community needs. Yeah. Dress or suit, that power looks so good on you. <laughs> However, for Rebecca is taking so much from external sources. She's acting almost like a mirror or trying to act like a mirror. She's trying to copy her sister. She's trying to copy Zigzal Nomad. And it is only when the light is literally put within her mm. that she becomes a charred one mm -hmm. that she is able to stand on her own and start projecting her light out for her community as we see her set up at the end as the sunlit one who will lead her people. That was a beautiful insight. Really well done. I'm proud of you for that. Yeah, I just feel like Brandon has really gotten to a point where his writing is so meaningful, but then it's also so much fun. He's playing around in a lot of these storytelling methods. It's really nice that he is able to create a full story for a character like Rebecca from beginning, middle, end. Like It's very clear in terms of a character arc, and it's very satisfying. And she is not the main character. Like this story happens a little bit in the background for the entirety of the book. And I feel like a lot of times side characters don't get a full arc or their arc is not satisfying. And it's really nice that Brandon is skilled enough to be able to weave these smaller storylines into the larger storyline. Let's stay within that family and go over to Elegy because... Elegy will begin as an idea that Rebecca and therefore Nomad are trying to save and rescue, and then continually has moments of development, again, as you're saying, a side character that has their own end-to-end -end character growth and arc. Yeah, which is even more impressive because her arc doesn't really even start until like halfway through the book, uh, and it still feels very satisfying at the end, sort of seeing the journey that she's been on and knowing where she's trying to get 
in the future, after the book is over, she starts life sort of (laughs) as the lodestar of the Beaconite. So she's in this position of guidance and she's someone that the Beaconites look up to. And then she becomes something very different, uh, but she offers us this unique and fascinating window into what it's like to be a chard. There are plenty of comparisons that we're going to make between inquisitors and other like net negative types of investiture that we are going to talk all about in a future episode. I definitely had some Marsh vibes from her when I was reading and just the struggle that they are going through while the chard and the creation of the chard is not hemallergy. It's also not not hemallergy. And as you talked about, we are going to discuss net negative investiture and those practices because it seems like creating a chard is definitely similar to hemallergy. And we know how dangerous that is. Yeah, absolutely. Within the Beaconite community, we also have their actual leaders, the greater good. So this triumvirate of the greater good confidence, contemplation, and compassion. These three elder statesmen kind of yeah. stateswomen yeah. are not only the beacons within the beacon helping lead the people, but they're also in flux. There is a moment that we learn yeah. that I think it's compassion, but we should expect the same is true for the other great yeah. good is that they have been churning through these leaders pretty quickly and she's relatively new at this role and is expecting to die relatively quickly. Uh, obviously, we've talked about this society built on movement and frenetic pace, but just the understanding that these leaders are presenting of like, we are going to have this role, very important, very powerful, but we're going to have it for a fraction of a second of time. And then we are going to be extinguished and our sun heart will be used to further our community. It's yeah, just it putting truly, in perspective. It truly makes this position of power or leadership a position of service. Right. One, you know that you're not getting out of the position alive and you know that you're not going to have this position forever. And so it automatically prevents any type of narcissism or abuse of that position of power. And then even in your death, your purpose is to facilitate the continuation of your people. So it truly is a place of service. And I think it, you're as you're saying, it underlines the uh, aspect of this society that is built on constant change. Right. Constant change, which is so different, I feel, from many of our societies here on Earth, which are much more based on structures that can be stable and stand for a long period of time that we want to stay the same. And so seeing this different society that is not only on a world that is constantly changing physically where they have to move locations constantly Mm -hmm. but their own like social structures are also continually cycling through and then to introduce the last character that we're going to talk about today think of the opposite of that a character who is refusing to change Mm. refusing to 
use that same approach to leadership. Yeah. Are preservation this... and ruin here? Because I feel like this is very preservation versus ruin. Well, there are some Scadrians. So technically, pre- preservation That's and true. ruin are there just in the souls of those Scadrians. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're bringing it to this planet because I think... An idea has happened. Actually, no. Preservation and ruin are there. Or more importantly, outsider influence is there because what you just said about our world having institutions or things that are meant to be stable and last over many lifetimes. The opposite of what is normally happening with the greater good and the Beaconites. But when does the cinder king decide to become the cinder king? When he reads about off-worlders, when he is exposed to a different method of power, of control, And he is like set on this path that's different from everyone else on his planet, a destructive path, because of the influence of outsiders. Now, is that book directly from Scadriel? I don't think so. The first book that he's exposed to, I don't know if it's from Mm -hmm. Scadriel. So I'm not going to say it's preservation and ruin, but like it's definitely from outside. It's introducing a new concept to that world. And the Cinder King says, Oh, institutions, stability, one leader to rule the entire people. That's a great call. We should do that. This brings up just so like we could go so deep on just the sort of philosophy of this particular plot point and like what this means that one person being introduced to a new way of thinking can destroy an entire society or an entire group of people Mm -hmm. obviously it's bad when the cinder king does it but you know if he was given some other text that i liked i would be like yeah obviously you should definitely inject you know new thoughts new philosophies into a population this is a good thing of course and that's a general feeling that i think we as people that have benefited from many many generations of shared ideas and like our world being so different that we kind of feel yeah share that information you yeah, know I'm especially still... in the west right like one mm-hmm. of our sort of fundamental legends is of the enlightenment and like how great it is that we're able to share new ideas but during that time period. But and on Canticle, so do, yeah. it's bad. <laughs> and it was bad. I mean, there were lots and lots of yeah. bad Obviously, moments. Obviously, it caused a lot of revolutions. Yes, so exactly. Not and without uh, consequence. It's almost becoming comfortable with the idea of consequence. You will introduce new ideas, and from those new ideas, there will be massive change, sometimes very destructive or dangerous changes. And we try to probably say the risk is worth the reward Mm, is kind of our philosophy. But on a brutal planet like Canticle or at brutal times during human history, introduce a new idea. Like, for example, you can speak directly with God and you don't need to go to a priest anymore. All of a sudden, a bad person can take that upon themselves and say, well, like, I'm the direct conduit to God. I'm in charge. I'm going to take over this place. And that's kind of more of like what the Cinder King did. He took it in a bad way. Generally, we want to be advocates of spreading information and ideas around. But I I think that this is an example of how that can go wrong. I think this is great context for us as we continue to move forward in the Cosmere and as we're coming up on this precipice of a new 
era in the Cosmere, we are going into one of these influx, volatile periods Mm -hmm. as different planets start to make contact. I feel like up until this point, you know, every time an in-world character learns something about the greater Cosmere, I've been so excited to see how all of these things come together. But I think in this conversation, we have discovered that Probably it is going to be a little bit more like Canticle in the beginning. There's going to be explosions. You're going to have, you know, the earth changing underneath your feet. It's going to be a little bit violent and terrifying (laughs) before maybe it settles down and we get uh, another good time. It's one of the most powerful things that is possible with long-term storytelling, whether that's a TV show over you know multiple seasons or a movie across a trilogy or longer. And certainly with books like this, Wheel of Time, and those stories that can exist and develop over time, you can start to see that there is no real clear start or end point there is just the flow and sometimes you're at the the top of the wave and sometimes you're in the trough and the churn and you're getting on a planet or a situation like canticle when it's just like everything is chaotic and there's probably a lot of death and and things that are worthy of despair and because we're following the stories over such a long period of time it is not going to be a traditional comedy or tragedy which either goes from everything is great and then it goes downhill or everything is bad and then it goes uphill Mm -hmm. which are the traditional archetypes of comedy and tragedy but over this long period of time we're going to go up and down and up and down and up and down and brandon has already taught us that at different scales those ups and downs can be happening differently a person could be in the highest peak, you know, the Enlightenment era, or just alive right now, talking on a microphone, which is going to be transmitted across the world by by internet. That's easily the peak. But on the micro scale, any person could be having the worst possible day because every person's emotions are their own. You know, a bad feeling is a bad feeling is a bad feeling. And for the people of Canticle, they are like a microcosm in the Cosmere that might be having the greatest era in the history of the Cosmere, you know, just more prosperity. It could be all fun and fanciful on our main Cosmere planets. I don't think that it is going to be, but it could be a really... But it might be a great time on Whimsy World. I mean, I think it's always a good time on Whimsy World. Are we on Whimsy World is my question. Oh my gosh. I'm not, I can't even, I can't even do this with you right now. We're going to, we're going to, we'll do it in another episode. All right. We won't do the full debate, but I want to hear your feedback. Let us know. Find us on the threads. Find us on the Patreon. Hit us up with that regular old email. You could, that's basically snail mail at this point. So go ahead and snail mail us on over. But I want to introduce the first of my favorite quote, which will just give a little bit of possibility and potential to this debate. Okay. This is from one of the greater good, quote, I should like, she whispered, to live my remaining days in a place where we could afford to tell such stories, a place with no running, a place of peace and whimsy, end quote. Yep. I literally just put this quote into our notes for a future episode. <laughs> oh, wonderful. It's already there. Yeah. Now, the word whimsy is also segmented by an ellipsis. 
So it's a separated out purposefully by Brandon to call attention to It's not a capital whimsy. W. It's not a capital W, which takes me away from saying whimsy world or the whimsy yeah, shard. Yeah. But I do think the introduction of the I word think whimsy- I it's still a reference. Yes. And I will merely introduce the concept that these people are once Threnonites. Threnody is a planet with no shard. That currently, was, yes. Yeah, currently no shard. But a shard battle happened in the past. Yes. Causing chaos. Yes. Okay. In my mind, there could have been a visit from a whimsy shard to this planet or planets in the past. And they may have been very different before the cataclysm uh, that started the shades and then would have led to this group of people ending up on Canticle. That basically, what if whimsy doesn't have a single planet? That they're moving around the Cosmere with their kind of like weird planets. They show just up in these scattering kindness like confetti. Yeah. And it's just out there. But then in that wake, there is these cataclysms or like people are like moving in that wake uh, because Whimsy has like traveled across the Cosmere. And I'm hoping that there's a very nice planet where the greater good and all the people who have sacrificed uh, can go. It kind of. Tranquiline halls that's actually tranquiline. Yeah. Not just waiting for more death later. Yeah. The worst death Not story a ever. Cosmic battle forever. Yeah, that's a bad heaven. It makes sense for the people on Rashar, but I'm hoping for a different one for uh, the greater good. But this introduction of the word whimsy to me stood out. And we'll talk more about that in the future. But tell me about one of your favorite quotes. Well, you know, I choose my favorite quotes that are just beautiful and not necessarily Cosmere significant. As you should. And I really enjoyed the metaphor of this quote. Nomad and the sky weren't currently on speaking terms, but they'd been intimate for some time in the past, and he still knew his way around her place, end quote. I just loved the... The imagery and like the feeling that is really clearly painted by comparing Nomad's relationship with the sky to a relationship with a lover and how you feel when you've fallen out. I think that's a great call. Love that quote. Let's just do the perfect yin and yang. I will only read this one because of the, again, use of a single word. Okay. Quote, Cosmerologically, he said, you'd be surprised at the wide range of definitions of alive and dead, end quote. Maybe the first time cosmerologically has appeared in text. I know it's something you I and I have said. I don't think so. I feel like it's appeared other places, but I could be wrong. If there's any other appearances of the full word cosmerologically, let us know. But also this distinction between what is alive and what is dead and what is considered alive versus dead by the spiritual realm, by the cognitive realm, by like the Cosmere as a whole, it seems that there's a very large range. And I think that's probably important in many of the stories we've already read and certainly the stories going forward. Yeah. This quote is also going to come back in the book club. Love it. I wonder if I could just go. You'll probably pick all the ones that are already in the notes. Hit me with another of your favorite quotes. Sometimes asking the questions is enough because it has to be enough because sometimes that's all there is, end quote. Yeah, I just really vibed with that. It has a very uh, sort of life before death, journey before destination type 
feel of like, look, you're not always going to get the answers. That's not necessarily the point. The end point is not the point. The point is the journey that you go on to get there, the questions that you answer and like the the process of inquiry is valuable in its own right. I'll follow that up with one of mine in a similar vein, quote, what's life about if not growth? I don't like the person I was back on Rashar either before we knew each other. I like change, Nomad. My kind were too static for too long, particularly we high spren. And sometimes the way you talk makes me think you believe, or can pretend, that you are an entirely different person now. End quote. Coming, of course, from Ox, and as I mentioned at the top, this relationship between Sigzel and Ox, and how we watched it develop, watched almost like a what we realize is a reversion for Ox from what they were to what they are now, but then growth back up. We see mm. a redevelopment of Ox as a character kind of like Well, and I think out. like in this quote, and I actually have the sort of second part of this quote uh, on my list. Oh my gosh, three for three. Yeah. <laughs> we did not do this in coordination. We but put- the idea that even though Ox has diminished by some measures and people would see that as like going backwards or being less than, he is redefining that dismin- diminishment as growth, mm-hmm. as another part of his story. It's not going backwards. He right. is still moving forward in the change, in the growth. And uh, he says, quote, the capacity for what you've become was always there. I guess that just sounds depressing or negative. I don't mean it to be so. If we pretend that we are a different person each day, then what good does it do? It implies that we can't truly change, that we don't learn. We just turn into another being, end quote. And I like this idea of not discounting all of the change that you've gone through, that it actually does you sort of a disservice to say, I'm a completely different person now. Mm-hmm. I've changed so much that actually like the act of embracing your entire journey with all of its ups and downs and all of its steps that seemed like they were going backwards was always carrying you forward to the person that you are today. Right. Really beautiful. Love it. I think that we're going to talk a lot more about these character beats, the philosophy and how it all plays into the plot of this story. Yeah. How about you give me another quote of yours? I've got one more about sort of change and transformation. Sigzel says to Ox, quote, most change doesn't happen with a revelation in light, Ox. Most change happens as a slow, steady slide towards the pit, like how we age step by shuffling step towards the grave, end quote. And he says it in this very sort of depressing and pessimistic manner, but just the concept that change doesn't happen most of the time in a single shining moment where everything changes, but that it is a slow, steady, day in and day out process of change. Right. And how important that process is. I think even doctors who deal with cancer patients or heart attack Uh, patients in their recovery, they will say often, you know, some people believe they have this one moment, this huge event, and then that completely changes them going forward. But what doctors often witness is that the unhealthy eating or the smoking or whatever was contributing to health problems is just continued by the person after their Mm. traumatic event, because they might say, 
I had a heart attack. I'm going to eat well. But what they're not committing to is the daily steps to change their direction. And so they don't. They just kind of like become the same version of themselves. That's depressing. What (laughs) is being pointed out here is that you shouldn't rely on that big moment of change. You should just take the small steps forward, as Dalinar tells us. Just take that next step. Yeah. How about another quote from you? I only have one left, and it's gigantic. And so I want to just (laughs) save that one for the end. Do you have a a quick quote that you could give me? Yeah, I have a a quick light one. Uh, this is, I think from Ox, quote, that is basically the entire point of math, explaining stuff everyone already knows, end quote. That's math. Enough said. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. (laughs) Stupid, stupid math. Design would be so upset. (laughs) She does love her cosines. (laughs) As do we all. Okay. For this last one, I hope that you will play along with me. Sure. I could not let it go because these are the moments that I feel Brandon's just writing for me or (laughs) just writing for the him that loves these scenes, the hero seemingly down and out, standing strong, getting back up after they've been hit. Like this this is... Music to my ear, except it's coming on a page into my eyeballs and being transformed in my brain. So towards the end of the story, we have the first true appearance of maybe Zellion or who was once Zigzal, became Nomad, and is now transforming into this new character. Could you read the first part? He was the rain, suddenly freed from the cloud and cast into the sky. He was the lightning, so eager to move that it jumped through empty space with frenzied splintering. He was the thunder that hit when you weren't expecting it, warping the air with its rhythms. He was the storm, falling on foreign lands, but still the same as it had always been. Nomad came to the final spin and step, planting his feet, spear fully extended so that it nearly touched the closest chard. Then he swept backward into a standing position, dismissing the spear and catching the little off-worlder Sunheart in one hand. He arranged his arm in a cross pattern, wrist-touching, and softly mouthed the words, Bridge Four, end quote. That's like Brandon at the best. I just feel like it's the pinnacle of everything that I was waiting for. I knew, you know, deep down within this person of Nomad, there is so much more and there's more than i even understand there's a whole don shard holder and giver upper there is someone who's been skipping around the cosmere but most importantly there is this man from the pits of rishar from the the deepest depths mm. that people know that rose up out of that with his friends with bridge four and with their spren that they bonded to and i just feel like it's all here it all comes into this moment it's a glorious honor is not dead but i'll see what i can do type of moment you know adolin yeah. and kaladin back to back i think it's very beautiful because it's a moment of sigzel coming home to himself right um that he is able to touch the part of himself that maybe is the best part of himself mm-hmm. that he's kind of able to come back to that place and reconnect with that person and realize that maybe he hasn't changed so much or maybe the the division between who he was and who he is isn't as impermeable as he thought that actually he is like bridging the space 
along that journey to see that it is a cohesive journey and not a bunch of separate events. Yes, it is not disconnected people or moments. It is one river that flows from his past to his present and that he is the hero, like Kaladin is a hero and he can be that for this people. He can be that for another group of people. And then he can still be a hero after failure. Yes, exactly. That one failure doesn't preclude you from ever doing anything good again. Like we always say, like these books say, you take the next step. You continue on the journey through all of the ups and downs. I feel this is a perfect introduction to The Sunlit Man. We're going to be with this one a lot and for a while. We welcome your feedback. What did you think about the book overall? Any plot points that really stood out to you or like us? What, what's your philosophical takes? What's your yeah. Cosmere takes? Give it to us all. And until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Mm-hmm.